Hello and welcome to the Activist Podcast, brought to you by Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals. I'm your host, Gareth Skir, and I'll also be joined by my wonderful co-host and wife, Jackie Norman. In this episode, we have Jill Robinson, founder of Animals Asia. In this interview, we talk with Jill about how Animals Asia have been able to achieve so much for the bears trapped within the bear bile industry and also shine a light on a shift in culture around other animals. We hope you learn as much as we did from this episode and be sure to check us out on our social media pages at VeganFTA on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can also find the series in video format. You know, I was so glad to see that you um, began working with IFOR because I grew up in the UK and IFOR was the very first that I heard about animal cruelty was seal clubbing and that was what turned me vegetarian. So um, I guess we should go back to, you know, a core question which we like to ask in this series is when did it all start? What was your why? Um, you know, I understand with your work with the Inter International Fund of Animal Welfare, that started with a man walking his cat on the beach. But a story that I've heard you share many times and Gareth and I just absolutely love is your encounter with a bear in a basement. So um, would you mind sharing that story with our viewers? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, that man on the beach with his cat, I'm still very good friends. He turned out to be my boss and um, and yeah, I worked for IFOR for about 11 years, which was wonderful. And um, David and his wife, Alex, you know, I see them to this day. So they still live in the, they live in the UK now. So, um, but yeah, the, um, so during when I was working with IFOR, I got a call from a friend of mine who was a journalist and he'd just come back from a bear farm in China. And he, you know, knew obviously that I was representing IFOR in Hong Kong. And he just said, you have to go and see this place. And, and so I did, I grabbed a couple of friends and um, we went over the border and we joined a tour, um, a tourist group uh, to go and sort of sniff out this farm. And, um, oh my goodness. Well, first of all, you're taken into an area where they keep breeding bears. So it's like a pit and you're given like a crude fishing line where you could tease the bears with apples at the end of the string. Um, but we knew that, you know, that this wasn't the, the, the bears that were used in bile extraction. So we snuck away from this group um, while the, um, the farmer was busy um, trying to encourage people to go into the shop, et cetera, and buy bear bile. And we found some steps down into the basement and um, we came across what I call my living hell. Um, there were 32 moon bears in tiny wire cages with um, really quite terrible injuries to their bodies. And um, the closer I got to the cages as I was walking around, I heard these popping vocalizations and they became louder and more frank frantic the louder I got, the closer I got to the cage. And I realized that that was really my first lesson of moon bears. And it was the lesson of fear um, because they didn't know the difference between me and a farmer that was going to extract their bile. Um, so I, again, it was, you know, I think I was just in such shock. And I was, as I was walking around, I must've backed too closely to one of the cages and I just felt something touch my shoulder. And I turned around cause I thought I'm gonna be really hurt here. And actually all there was was a, was a moon bear with her paw through the bars of the cage. And um, she was just holding her paw out to me. And I did the most ridiculously stupid thing um, that we would never do today. We've rescued over 630 bears. And, you know, the last thing you would do is grab a bear's paw, or even the friendliest bears that we've got, because they're naturally inquisitive, they're unpredictable. And yes, they can be aggressive, and certainly on bear farms. 
Um, so I took her paw and she just did the most extraordinary thing of just taking my hand and squeezing my fingers. And I just looked into her eyes and, and I just knew from that second that everything would change and everything did change. I walked out of that farm knowing that I would never be the same again, but knowing that I was kind of on this path, I guess, a new path of helping um, farm fairs. You know, we just just removed them from, from the industry and and just, just investigate what this whole trade was all about and try to under, make some understanding of it so that we could help in some way. Um, so so that was that was that really everything did change um and ultimately um you know i left i4 and to start animals asia to really focus on this whole issue and um you know we we built sanctuaries in china and vietnam we worked with traditional medicine doctors we worked with government officials we have a really holistic way of looking at the industry so that no one is criticized or no one suffers as a result of our actions our intention is really to help as many bears as we can and wind this industry down such a touching story and it's fantastic i can't wait to talk more about about your work with animals asia in this interview and it's just I, I can't remember how this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've listened to that story now um, through doing all the research and it's, it's still tugging up the heartstrings. It's yeah. um, it's so hidden, isn't it? You know, we think of, of factory farming as being hidden with the, you know, what goes on with the dairy and the pigs and all that. But, you know, bears are such forgotten animals. And, and here you are, 630 plus bears later. Extraordinary. <laughs> I don't think we can believe it ourselves sometimes, but you know, it's a wonderful thing. And it's just, as you say, you know, with other animals that have been very badly abused, it's just the most extraordinary experience to see that light coming on into their eyes when they realize that no one's going to hurt them or exploit them again. And then you see these amazing personalities come out. And it's just such a joyous thing to be working, you know, and experiencing your life with these animals. You know, it's, it's, it's a privilege. So um, there's one small detail in the story that um, always kind of bugs me, and it's about how you got onto the property in the first place as part of a tourist group. So was this quite a common thing in the region to have bear bile tourism? Oh, it was, Gareth. It was. You know, this is, I'm talking, crikey, this was 1993. So, you know, at that time, it was felt that it was a sort of um, a... a I don't know, a well-intentioned well initiative, I think, you know, to prevent bears from being killed for their whole gallbladders in the wild. So these bear farms started popping up, you know, and um, they thought that by keeping a bear in a tiny wire cage and extracting the bile um, and but keeping that bear alive, then you were saving the wild counterparts. Um, but that well-intentioned initiative very quickly turned around and showed that, in fact, you know, bears were just dying on the bear farms because of the, the problems, uh, both mental and physical. Um, and so, you know, the, the bears were still being taken from the wild to supplement those bear bile farms. Um, but yeah, in those days, it, we just pretended to be giddy tourists that, that were joining, you know, the Japanese and Taiwanese tourists. Um, and we were busted, you know, when we were in that basement area, the farmer did come down and catch us and we just giggled. We put on the most incredible act and just, you know, hands up. We, we just came to have a look, sorry, we'll go now, you know, but by then we had all the evidence and that was really all we needed. This was the first exposure of bear bar farming. And um, yeah, it, it really, it really um, caught the attention, you know, of, of many, many people. 
I'm so glad you got onto that tourist group. And, um, you know, one thing that surprised me listening to your um, interviews that, that you've done before is, you know, we, we hear a lot about um, ancient medicine and a lot of it is like, oh, you know, snake, snake charmer stuff, it doesn't work. And, you know, I was really surprised to sort of to hear you say to people, you know, the thing is with bear bile is it does actually work. It does do, you know, medicinally you know what it is intended to do and so you know before we go into too much detail about the bears i think it's important that our viewers understand what bear bile actually is and what it was used for so um can you explain as to why anybody would even want this yeah it was you know it was a mystery to me too and i would i think i'm very ashamed to say that i was prepared to write it off as a, as a quack medicine you know um but nothing can be further from the truth and this is why again we just don't disparage traditional medicine at all because there are some you know obviously um there are some benefits from taking traditional medicine many many of them you know this has been a, a discipline of thousands and thousands of years and these are people that you know um often know what they're talking about and in the case of bear bile yes it contains ursodeoxycholic acid or udca um and it's it's termed as a cold medicine to treat heat related illnesses so, um, you know, red and sore eyes or chronic liver complaints, anything that's inflamed, or if you have a high temperature or a fever, example, even hemorrhoids, you know, anything that is inflamed, bare bile is a cooling medicine, you know, in, in terms of, I guess, you, one would say yin and yang, you know, opposites helping an opposite um, disease that, that, that bare bile is, is consequently being used for. So, um, but what we also found, you know, in those early days when, recovering from that shock that bear bile really does work, um, was to talk to many tra traditional medicine practitioners that said you don't need it. You know, in this day and age, there are plenty of herbs and synthetic alternatives that take the place of bear bile and are just as effective and certainly cheaper as well. That's good, isn't it? Such good news for the bears as well. I mean, it made, listening to you, I was thinking about, you know, we always laugh in the um, about cow's milk, you know, who who on earth was it that decided it was a good idea to to you know get milk out of a cow? What were they thinking? It's the same thing with bear bile. Who who dreamt this up? It's so unfortunate for the bears that that unfortunately, you know, this is proven to to work. You know, at least until other alternatives were found. And it's like, who comes up with these schemes? Like, oh, I think that's a good idea. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's synthesized the world over. You know, in a, in a lab chemically and. Um, you know, just, just because UDCA works so well, you know, so anyone taking UDCA, please don't be worried, you're not going to be taking bear bile if that's what it says, you know, if UDCA is on the box, but it's a synthesized version. And, um, you know, it's a very potent medicine. Mm. It really is. Yeah, it's, um, but yes, yeah, great to see that now there is that uh, option. And we'll talk a bit more about that um, mm. in, in a future question, but it would seem um, a key to Animal Asia's success has been Due to your collaboration with local governments and organizations in Vietnam, you've made fantastic progress with a memorandum of understanding, which has been signed by the government there to put an end to bear bile uh, farming uh, by 2020. What has the experience been like working with the local government? 2021 now. <laughs> 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 and even even that date guys is you know look we have to be realistic we've just we've obviously gone through what everyone in the whole world has gone through with with covid you know so it's put plans back 
Um, but the point is that we we're the only NGO in, in Vietnam to have signed this exclusive agreement with the, with the Vietnam government to end bear bar farming. And it's just such a wonderful thing to be moving forward, you know, with that, with a real focus now on helping some, you know, 400 bears now that are left uh, on farms in the country and to be able to obviously now do the big steps of building a second sanctuary in Vietnam, which we're trying to raise the funds desperately to do now over this next year. We want to start breaking ground in July, but again, it is, I have to say, it's down to funding. Everything is, right? And, and you know, if we, can, if we can raise millions of dollars, which we need to build a sanctuary, then that's exactly what we're going to be doing. And that's it, that bear farming will be done in Vietnam. Fantastic. Well, now that I've caught, caught back up with the year 2021, and this has ended in 2022, um, but like with the government uh, working with them initially, was it a bit of a struggle to try and get them on board with changing um, this sort of mandate as opposed to, I, I can imagine like here, if we were to approach the dairy industry out here, they'd be quite outraged, you know, as opposed to... Oh, it's taken two years for our government to stop putting cows on ships, you know? <laughs> yeah, so... Like, uh, yeah, were the government, did they support you as individuals or was it, um, were they quite quick to jump on board? Uh, it's really interesting. You know, it, it's, it's all about trust building. And, um, you know, that's what we say for virtually every program that we're working on, you know, in Asia. Um, and first of all, you know, I was very shocked in Vietnam to establish that um, several uh, government officials were indeed bear farmers you know so that was like oh well you're not going to stop anytime soon are you but um but the fact is you know they are a protected species so they are endangered and um i think you know because again vietnam is very proud of its heritage and you know the fact that they're working so well with so many environmental groups and they have so much beautiful beautiful forest areas and national parks across the country um, and they do want to protect their wild species. And I think that, you know, over the years of working with them, um, what we heard all the time was, well, we are quite willing to give up bear farming, but where do the bears go? And it's true, you know, what, what, what is going to happen to those bears? You know, so in 2005, they really finally made bear farming illegal by introducing a microchip system. Um, so the farmers were sensibly allowed to microchip their bears and then they could keep them as pets. And of course that wasn't happening. Of course they weren't keeping those pets. They were still exploiting them and, and milking them for their bile. Um, but you know, the, the, the point was after that, we were able to you know, hear the authorities when they said, we need space. We need to build a sanctuary to put those bears. And so it was, you know, we'd already um, built a sanctuary in China. So we said, right, you know, come along, see the sanctuary. If you like what you see, we'd love to start doing something in Vietnam. And that's exactly what happened. They gave us some land um, in Vietnam and we obviously had to raise the funding to, to build the sanctuary, um, but it's just beautiful there. It's on the, um, the buffer zone of the Tandao National Park up in the north, just outside Hanoi. And, um, and it's got, it, we've got nearly 200 bears there. And it, it's, just, it's just astonishingly beautiful. I always say Vietnam has, you know, a hundred different hues of green in the country. And it, and it does, you know, it's, we're surrounded by secondary pine forest and it's, it's just wonderful. And the bears love it, of course, as well. Oh, sounds amazing. <laughs> I would love to go there one day, you know, that, that would be top of my, top of my yeah. travel wish list. It always was. And now, now to go and check out your work would just be amazing. But, um, you know, you've touched on your approach when dealing with 
you know, other organizations and governments. And indeed, your Animal Asia's sensitive approach when dealing with communities affected by these industries is really inspirational. And by taking the time to work with people and offer sustainable solutions, it's allowed you to advocate both effectively and efficiently. Would you recommend trying this approach to activists in other areas too? For, you know, like example, animal ag, you know, in, in Western society, maybe we should be trying that as well. As I say again, it's really down to holistic working, you know, and just looking at, at, at one problem with multiple solutions, you know, that, that benefit both people and, and animals alike. And that's what we found in, again, the, the campaigns that we're running, whether it's bears or, or captive animals. Um, you know, for example, you know, in um, also in Vietnam, Dave Neal, our animal welfare director, is running a fantastic program to help elephants um, retire from the tourist riding industry. And, um, you know, but again, you need to have a solution. So with the help of the Olsen Animal Trust, a wonderful foundation in the, in the UK that's been helping us and funding this project, we've been able to buy the elephants and bring them a hoops along with them and now, you know, have them walk in freely in the forest so that people can come along and see them, you know, as, as a tourist, but just going about their business in the forest rather than taking tourists for rides on their backs. So we've, you know, released those elephants from the chains. And I just think, again, it's just something that we, we have to look at. How do we help people as well as animals in these industries? I think it all boils down to money at the end of the day. And we've just got to be strategically inventive and creative, if you like, in, in how we're going to, to help people that, you know, you want to, step back from an industry that we know is egregiously cruel. We um, previously spoke to Claire Smith from Beyond Animal and she made the big point of we need to make the business of um, not profiting off animals more profitable than it is to you know um, abuse and exploit them you know and as unfortunate it is to sort of say in those terms you know we've got to use the current system in order to break it you know we've sort of yeah, working within it. And it's fantastic what you're doing in that, you know, with having that the whole round approach to it. But um, it's not just in Vietnam that Animal Asia has been doing fantastic work. Major progress has also been made in China, where we understand that Animals Asia have also been um, working with the Traditional Medicine Association uh, to offer the alternatives, as we spoke about previously. And this is helping to end the prescription of bear bile um, to patients. I was also really elated to hear about the removal of dogs on the livestock listing, um, which is absolutely fantastic because uh, most of us don't even realize that there is such a thing as a livestock listing, but now they've been taken off there. So can you tell us a little bit more about these initiatives with working with the medical association and then also um, the delisting of dogs? Well, the work with the medical association is predominantly in Vietnam now, and that's working with the largest traditional medicine association in the country of about 70,000 members. And we have a, another memorandum of agreement with them um, that they would give up a, a prescribing or selling bear bile um, by the end of last year, which is what happened. And again, you know, we're just we're just looking at the demand reduction side of, of things now um, and, and hopefully, you know, continuing with that process and also encouraging um, schools, for example, across the country to um, create herbal alternative gardens um, together with the traditional medicine um, uh, uh, stakeholders, if you like. And it's just fantastic. We've got 13 of those gardens now. Um, and, you know, just showing the general public 
through coming along to clinics, for example, every month that, um, you know, the herbal alternatives, again, are, are, are just as good, if not more effective than bare bile. So it's, it's just something to reduce demand, as, again, as I say, as, we, as we're moving forward with this, closing down the bare bile farm so that then we're not going to um, see the wild population of bears implicated as well. Um, and in terms of China with the livestock list, it was a huge, such great, a huge, a cause of such great celebration um, last May when, when they were removed. Um, and cats were never on the livestock list. So by default, they're not included on the list either now. And, you know, this has come about after years and years of collaboration with many government officials across the country. Um, and what I think I found most um, satisfying when dogs were removed from the, the livestock list were the comments of government officials who said um, that th this was because dogs were seen as being beneficial to society across the world and that they were friends of human beings etc and I think a lot of people around the world think that China somehow bowed to the west um, because of criticism and that's not true they actually uh, you know have been part of a again a holistic movement in the country where more and more people are bringing companion animals into their homes loving them um, enjoying talking with vets now who are becoming more and more qualified in the country as well to deal with companion animals so again it's a very new and, and quite slow movement but it's something that ultimately I think um, encouraged the government in China to to make these decisions to help animals that help society like dogs and cats Oh, that's wonderful. I've been grinning like a Cheshire cat just listening to you say that. But, you know, it's, it's so wonderful. And, you know, I have to say all too often people do tend to write China off when it comes to animal welfare. And, you know, a lot of us have been under the impression that the general Chinese population just does not love animals. You know, they don't care. It's they're so steeped in, in culture. And but, you know, like many stereotypes, you've proven just just before you know that this isn't the case of the, the delisting of dogs and um you know the understanding of their value to to us and to society and um another stereotype that i've heard you uh, comment on previously as well is the misunderstanding of wet markets and the misuse of the term could you share a little on this topic because i'm probably in the wrong about this as well and, and how we need to move away from these false portrayals in the if we're going to be effective advocates in these areas yeah, sure. I, can I just finish off maybe just a little bit? Because I just thought afterwards as well, you know, I want to, you're so right about, um, you know, this misconception of people in China. There's now over 250 animal welfare groups across the country. There was one when I began. And it's just, it's a proper, sophisticated, intelligent movement with people working collaboratively with government officials now. And I think, you know, this together with the fact that we've been working with these groups, we've been, you know, um, putting dogs in hospitals and disabled centers together with their loving volunteers. We've been putting dogs in schools to help children enhance their reading abilities. And, you know, all of these, so we've got Dr. Dog and Professor Paws, you know, just really out there in the community. And again, just showing the general public that our lives are enhanced and enriched from being in the company with compa companion animals as well. So um, it's, yeah, and, and this is being embraced, you know, by, by people, everywhere now who really look at dogs and cats as, as as we do as well and hopefully now from those species we'll look at other animals too or, or, that are equally sentient and equally intelligent too this is not just a, a cut off at dogs and cats we're doing much more than that um, in terms of other obviously sentient mammals out there that, that really deserve our help um, 
but um, but yeah, wet markets. That, so there's wet markets everywhere. Where I am in Hong Kong, I'll probably go to the wet market in Saikung later on this afternoon. Um, it's not what people, you know, what what I think we need to distinguish is between wet market and live animal market. And so wet markets are generally where you can buy your fruit and vegetables or fresh cut flowers. Yes, they have a section, of course, for fish and cut meat as well. Um, but it's not, you know, I'm not going to turn the corner in Hong Kong and see live animals being slaughtered in front of my eyes. So what we're talking about and emphasizing here is live animal markets, which across the world, across the world, there's, there's live animal markets in the USA, for goodness sake, as well. It's not just in Asia. They should be shut down. They are a melting pot of disease, an absolute melting pot of misery and disease, and they need to be shut down now. We haven't learned our lessons um, by now. You know, there are so many pandemics waiting in the wings um, because of our mistreatment of animals and because we're gathering them all into one area um, where obviously they are, they are highly stressed, they're shedding disease, and that disease is now, you know, obviously implicating humans as well. So we've, we've got to do better. Agree more, um, yeah. yeah, fingers crossed those lessons are being learned, but, um, you know, all the best we can try and do is uh, take those pandemics off the plate, hopefully, and, um, yeah, really, really hope that the the culture picks up on that, and um, I've heard you talk in a previous interview about how uh, the culture over there tends to be heavily driven by uh, scientific and evidence sort of based trends, and so, to me, actually, it makes me very hopeful, you know, seeing what's happened with, the, say, the dogs being delisted and stuff, um, that China could really be a great staging ground for the progressive plant-based movement, you know, with all this science and evidence um, backing it up, you know, hopefully that culture will sort of take hold soon. And especially um, in mind with taking dogs off the listing, potentially yeah that might make it easier for them then to take pigs cows chicken if you they can make that distinction between a dog the dogs and the cats which have been viewed in such a way previously hopefully these other animals might take hold as well so like um haven't been there on the ground do you think this could well be um yeah a great staging ground for the rest of the movement oh gosh a hundred percent you know plant-based foods are exploding in China, absolutely exploding. You know, all the burgers that we've started getting and enjoying, um, you know, that we, we all know which make they are, you know, well, I'll say them beyond burgers, you know, all those and impossible burgers. They're, they're all now exploding into the market in China, including going into outlets like McDonald's and Kentucky and Starbucks, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's very exciting to see that happen. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings that I, I just like to say is, you know, how can we be taking one intelligent species you know into our heart like obviously like the dog and yet another intelligent species into our freezer um and and you know it just i think it just makes people think a little bit more as we as we know the the, the sheer um intelligence of the animals that we are taking for granted and slaughtering and eating their meat every day um and yet people just love 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 their dogs and cats you know and it, i i just find that difficult to separate the species you know when, when oh goodness when there's so many others that, that need help so and yeah it's great to see this this um advancement if you like of plant-based foods and you know it's not it's not i don't think it's a case of waving your finger at people saying you should be vegan overnight you know i you know i'm just reading papers recently that talk about just the more that people um eat plant-based foods for one or two days a week you know and go into it slowly more of those if, if everyone did that you would be saving so 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 many more animals 
um, you know, then, then perhaps relying on people just absolutely going vegan overnight. You're, you're going to see less of that, but more people going um, at least semi-vegan. And we should encourage that, I think, as a movement and, and hope that that, you know, ultimately people will go vegan, of course. I always like um, always like to think, you know, I'd rather have somebody be on the journey to becoming vegan than someone just flat out denying it, you know, even if it takes a long amount of time, I'd rather they be taking that long time to get there than not getting there at all. So it's, oh, it's fantastic, you know. Absolutely. I was 13 when I learned about the work of I4 and, and, and the seal clubbing, you know, and, so, and it took me, you know, till four and a half years ago, which is a lot more than 13 <laughs> to get there. But we're all on this journey, you know, we're not always on it at the same time so and all we can do is encourage and to show the benefits for everyone absolutely and we talk with people you know very often when you're talking about this subject and they say oh no well I hardly eat any meat now and you know it's it, and you shouldn't be defensive with people that say that you know because that because they're on their journey too and they're recognizing that you know we do need to eat less meat in our diet you know for not just for, of course for the animal's sake but for our own health sake as well and I just think we should be encouraging that sort of conversation um, and, and trying to sort of support, if you like, um, that, 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 that journey that they, that they have too. Stop the podcast. We'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to one of our partners, Animal Hero Kids. Animal Hero Kids are fostering a culture of empathy and kindness in children and teens by encouraging and recognizing compassionate and courageous acts that help all species of animals. Animal Hero Kids also offer complimentary, interactive, humane education programs highlighting stories of rescue and aid of animals in need. Do you know a young person who is a hero for the animals? Sign them up to this global movement. Head on over to animalherokids.org to learn more. Now back to the podcast. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned um, just before about Dr. Dog, which I love. And a large part of your campaigning efforts have been through educating the general public about animals and living compassionately with them. And the, uh, the Dr. Dog campaign has now been running for over 20 years and has allowed people across Asia the opportunity to connect with dogs in a manner that perhaps, you know, wasn't previously encouraged by society previously. Um, can you tell us a bit more about Dr. Dog? I just love that name. And how it's helped not just people, but the dogs too. Yeah, sure, Jackie. Well, I started it in 1991 um, when I was really getting fed up here in Hong Kong with, um, you know, the, the disposal, if you like, of, of designer dogs, you know, like when there's 101 Dalmatians, the film, or when, you know, brown poodles became Vogue or retrievers or whatever, and you'd see these dogs dumped in the streets along with the mixed breed dogs as well. And, you know, all these animals together with just, it was just so sad. And then of course, going across into the mainland where you saw them in the live animal markets being slaughtered, you know, all manner of dogs and cats. And so I just felt that, you know, it would be maybe advantageous to, to connect people with our very best friend. And I'd been reading all these papers, of course, of um, pets as therapy dogs in the UK and I just had my old retriever and I just looked down at him and I thought, gosh, you could do this, Max. Um, and I phoned up hospitals um, for weeks and weeks. And, you know, I, I just had the phone slammed down on me time after time. People saying, you're not seriously suggesting bringing a dirty, smelly, unhygienic dog into a hospital, are you? And, and I say, well, I am. But, you know, these are dogs that are looked after by, you know, by people who love them like myself um, and, and, you know, could could benefit. Um, the health and welfare of your patients and just when I was getting you know my morale was was 
rock bottom. Um, I heard from the Duchess of Kent Children's Hospital, the matron there, and she said, I've heard of animal therapy. I'll give you one hour in the garden with one dog. And that was it. They, they, this was a, a really severely um, affected uh, department that they allowed me to um, you know, go along and see. And they brought these paraplegic children out in beds and in wheelchairs and things as well. And um, Max just seemed to know he had a job to do. And he went up to one of the patients and put his huge golden paws on this boy's bed. And the boy's face just lit up. And, and from that second, Dr. Dog was born. And the phone was ringing off the hook next day from other facilities wanting the visits, from volunteers wanting to volunteer their own dogs. And we've got just thousands of dogs now across, um, gosh, seven um, places in Asia now, including places like India and um, oh, Malaysia um, and the Philippines and Japan, um, of course, China as well. And it, it's just, it's a beautiful program and it's spawned another program called Professor Paws, which sees dogs going into schools again, as I said, to enhance children's reading capabilities. And as you said earlier on, Jackie, China is very evidence-based. Um, and you know they like to see papers that prove these sort of things. And there's a, an incredible institute called CARIC there, um, the Companion Animal Research Institute, and they have also done research on animal therapy and shows that it works. You know, dogs are good for our physical and our psychological health. They reduce blood pressure, cholesterol levels, boost our immune system, and that's why Dr. Dog is taking off there because it is evidence based. So hey, whatever works, whatever <laughs> gets, gets the paws in the door, that's wonderful. I was just thinking, you know, you do such amazing work and so diverse and, and you've witnessed some horrendous things. Um, and, you know, and you're still you're still fighting for, for so many animals. And yet, you know, you must witness well, you obviously have witnessed just so much beauty, so much positivity happening all the time as well. And um, yeah, it's just. I guess that's what just keeps the fires burning, doesn't it, on, on both ends, you know, for the ones that need helping and, and to see the good that, that is being done with these wonderful animals. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. And when you just see progress, as we are seeing in China and Vietnam, you know, with, with government officials now becoming very proactive in their own right, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do to enforce the livestock list, to help work with the government to, to help them in their work, you know, but they, they seem to be very, very, um, you know, um, what's sort of committed to, to be doing this. And, um, you know, already we're we've seen them talking about prosecutions, already we've seen them closing restaurants, um, in China, you know, and getting people to take the word dog meat off of their off their restaurants as well. So, you know, it is getting there. It's it's part. It's it's a regulation now. It's illegal to sell dogs um, for their meat and cats now. So, you know, we're well on our way now to be cheering on the Chinese government to to do exactly what they promised. That's beautiful, and I understand as well. This has also helped with there was previously a lot of um, animal thefts as well happening for those people who did have companion animals um, then being taken because of mm. um, it being legal to eat them. Oh gosh, that that was the worst thing of all, and that's what we were able to prove as well through our many, many, many investigations in China over the years. Um, we've been to these places. Um, where you see dogs and cats still wearing collars, you know, we were able to prove that probably nearly nearly 100% of dogs are stolen, either from people's loving family homes or from the streets. And we were also able to show that, you know, if these dogs were taken off the streets, this was a perfect vector, the cross-border transfer of these dogs for um, diseases such as rabies, you know, which again, mm -hmm. 
can show on a social level with China, you know, not just from an animal welfare level, but show that when people's dogs are being stolen, you're, you're affecting social harmony, you know, and, and no government official wants to see that happen. And no government official wants to see rabies spread because of the, um, you know, the transport of these dogs across the borders. So, um, you know, there were some very compelling arguments outside of just the cruelty that we were able to, to alert the authorities about and, uh, and which they took seriously, of course they did. Wonderful, yeah, that's great to, to be able to back that so much, you know, and get it through. But, um, but going back to Professor Paws, uh, educating kids in schools is an important part of Animals Asia. And again, them to engage with these, um, getting to engage with the animals and then not engage with the acts of cruelty and other things that may be societal, um, such as going to circuses, zoos, all those sort of um, what we used to think were wonderful things as, as little ones out here, but I'm glad not anymore. But um, a trait we tend to see across the globe is the older generations tend to be quite set in their ways. You know, this is the way that we've always done it and we will continue to do so. Have you found with working with children and the younger generations an effective way to potentially actually reach the older generations by teaching the young ones that this isn't the way that it has to be? Very much, Gareth. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, it's incredible. You know, with the, the children that we work with now in the schools, um, you know, again, this is um, they have parents who are naturally cautious of dogs because of the rabies um, issue. I mean, China is the second highest incidence of rabies in the world, you know? So, um, you know, when you've got their children now approaching dogs, this is something, wow, very new and very special for the parents. Um, and, you know, through the lessons of Professor Paws, we're able to teach children, if they've got a, an animal at home, you know, how to look after those animals appropriately. But if they haven't got an animal at home, we have lessons that they're reading to the dogs, believe it or not. Because, again, science shows that children are far less embarrassed to read to a dog than they are to a teacher if they have reading disabilities. So when they're reading this stuff, they're reading about, um, you know, how to approach dogs safely in the streets, how to recognize their body language, etc. And, um, and, and also, of course, being told how to look after their companion animals to stop them from being stolen from the meat trade as well. So other things like conservation or welfare or environmental issues around them, and they go back to their parents. And they, you know, they've now been called animal cadets, you know, they've got a little certificate and and they've got a neck staff and things and they've got t-shirts and you know they they they're very proud to go back to their to their parents and their families and friends and you know showing off about what they've learned in their in their professor pause lessons so it's such an all-round thing it's not just teaching them to read better chinese or rhetoric better english but it's teaching them about you know social issues around them and how to love and protect animals better as well fantastic i really um I think we need to, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've uh, come across it already, but we'll have to put you in touch with Susan Hargreaves, who I've does been thinking, yeah. Animal Hero Kids out in the, the States, and well, she also does it globally, but um, I think you two would... Such um, great synergies. Yeah, have, yeah. Have, you, have you come across Susan before? Have you had um, talked to her before? No, but I'd love to. <laughs> she is wonderful. We'll send you a link to the interview that we did with her recently, because I think you guys could do amazing things together. Because yeah, uh, Animal Hero Kid sounds a lot like uh, Professor Paws, you know, um, with those same sort of uh, ethics in the teaching and sending the kids away with that sense of achievement, which then, you know, spreads out into the wider community. So, yes, we'll have to, we'll have to put them together. And for our viewers, if you haven't watched Susan's episode as well, get and watch that too, because um, it's, yeah, it's another one for... 
for the young'uns. Yeah, it would be wonderful. But um, animal a animals Asia, um, your bear sanctuaries are absolutely fantastic, and they've been the recipient of the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries Award, which is no small feat at all. I hear you have to jump through a thousand hoops to get through that to, to that one line. Oh, watching the footage online, um, future Gareth, when he's editing this, will hopefully put some over the top of this now um, because it's just, it fills my heart with joy to see these bears in the sanctuaries. It, it broke my heart to see the rescues and what happened before the conditions they were put in. And um, for me, I hadn't really seen moon bears or sun bears before. And now, like seeing them, Oh, it, it melts me. Uh, the the moon bears—they've got almost like these '80s, like big frizzy hairstyles, and then uh, the sun bear—he's almost like a, a like the pug of the bear. When I saw a couple of them, they got the folds of uh, skin on their head, and I was just like, oh, big smooshy faces. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just it's just so. Wonderful. I can't understand why anybody could harm these creatures because they're just so beautiful. Um, but we've i've taught it <laughs> i know you, you jumped in and missed my question as well it was my turn oh sorry <laughs> he's so he's so in love with these blooming bears now which is a wonderful thing you've got a great a great advocate for your work here yeah now. i'll let jackie jump back to her <laughs> no, one darling, probably... you carry on you carry on you talk about your your smooshy faces and oh yeah the just the bears get me all excited they do and yeah it's just um Oh, I, I've heard you talk about quite a few of their experiences through previous interviews, and I just love hearing about their personality and character. I, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing um, any individual as a particular, um, a bit of their story about, you know, their personality and the exploits of uh, some of these cute little buggers. <laughs> oh, they are. It's just incredible. As I say, it's just a complete privilege. Um, actually, today is the anniversary of a bear called Jasper, uh, his death. Um, and he was with us for 15 years after being 15 years in a crush cage um, in China. And, and he was just, um, you know, he was one of our ambassadors. I mean, they all are, they all have, they're like us. They have different personalities and likes and dislikes, but Jasper sort of stood out, I guess, as one thing as the peacemaker of the sanctuary. So in his enclosure of about 23 other bears, um, if there was the odd disagreement, he would always get in the middle and break it up. And he absolutely would. This is not being me being anthropomorphic, physically so we have other peacemakers now you know um all the guys know it um and they they will break up arguments um in the enclosures um but what he did also do very very well was was he was a great photo bomber so whenever we had the media along they would always be saying well we got some great pictures of some of the bears but there was always this one with yellow eyebrows that would come in the front of the camera and i'd go yeah that's jasper <laughs> he had these gorgeous yellow eyebrows <laughs> and i just think he knew how much he was just absolutely adored um, and if ever i was i had a bad day i would just get on my walkie-talkie and say to everyone i'm just going to go and have a meeting with jasper i'm going to be offline for an hour and i would i'd just go and sit down with him and and feel immensely better after that hour so um, you know, they, they all stand out. There's, we had a wonderful bear called Oliver, who um, was, crikey, 30 years in his cage, 30 years, and that's their lifespan. And, um, you know, by the time we rescued him, he really was the epitome of a broken bear, both physically and psychologically. And, and we managed to mend him somewhat, um, at least give him, you know, four years of, of real quality of life, that bear. Um, he would walk out, he would shuffle out, obviously, because he had arthritis and, 
uh, and you know a lot going on with him but the amount of people that stood on the roof of that enclosure and looked down at him and cried grown men gareth i think i would give you two seconds um just cried everyone <laughs> <laughs> and and just thought what have i been doing for the last 30 years of my life while that bear was in a cage you know and he just grabbed the heartstrings of everybody that saw him you know and um and, and was a real teacher, you know, for us as well. So um, they're all special. I mean, we've got, I've got a million stories, but we've got smiling bears, you know, that literally smile. And that's not being anthropomorphic either. The, the people that, you, if you have dogs and you sometimes see your dogs smile, they deliberately turn up the sides of their mouths. Um, and, and one wonderful bear keeper, she's sadly passed away, Elsa Tolson. She came out with a book called Smiling Bears because they do indeed smile. And we've, we've got many of them. And we've, one of our famous ones in China is called Kevin. He's got three legs because he was caught in the wild illegally. Um, but he's, the, he's a, the player of the sanctuary. He's always, you know, engaging his mates in a, a real hard rough and tumble in the enclosure. And yeah, it's, we're very lucky. We're very lucky to have such, such characters wonderful Absolutely. i really encourage everyone to um the links will be in the description of this but to go check out the website and the youtube and watch some of the videos from these animals i'll say watching the rescues um i actually did start um tearing up watching those and then um then watching the joyous of joyous bears in the sanctuary there you know it will just yeah it will <laughs> reignite your heart after that it's just so beautiful to see I'll let you go back to your question as well. Oh, no, well, Jill's <laughs> going to talk now, darling. So. <laughs> I was only going to pay tribute, you know, just just to our sanctuary staff, you know, in China, headed up by Ryan, and in, in Vietnam, headed up by Heidi, um, and, you know, and Tuan as well, that does all the government work. I mean, and Boris in China that does the government. You know, it, this is a, a whole village of people who do such incredible work with the foundation, you know, and, and I'm just, it's just so blessed that we've got people like that. You know, we, we're so lucky with all of our staff, whether they're frontline people at the sanctuaries or whether they're back of house, you know, on the communication side or the creative side or the finance side, or, you know, the, the manager, every, all the managers or the, the supporter engagement side everybody is is we're just just so lucky i really want to pay tribute to every single one of them oh that's awesome it takes a village as they say doesn't it it sounds like you've got one amazing village um and when gareth said you know how how can people be so cruel to these these beautiful sentient beings uh, the first thing that came to mind with me was well because people think they're dangerous you know you, you can't get attached to something that is that is dangerous i mean you we can admire lions and tigers from a, a distance, but we wouldn't get close to them, would we? I mean, they're beautiful, but, you know, for some reason, it doesn't seem so bad to be cruel to something that is classified as dangerous, which sounds dreadful. And, you know, bears are regarded as dangerous across the globe. Um, and, you know, you've spoken here that, that dogs can be just as dangerous if they've got rabies, you know, to be around humans. Um, a friend of, of ours, Greg, who is the um, founder of Broom Animal Sanctuary uh, in the States, uh, he's a friend of ours and he posts the most wonderful, he, he's taught me to love bears. Um, and here's a wild bears that come and hang out at night. You know, you see bear cubs on his back porch and, it, you know, it's really taught me to to start looking at bears differently and that, yeah, they're beautiful. They've got just as much right to be here and enjoy their life as everyone else. And obviously everything that we've learned from you and, and learning about your work. Have you found advocating for animals which are seen as dangerous in 
you know, th these regions harder or is it easier to accomplish than advocating, for example, you know, for, for cows and pigs, which people just, a lot of people just don't get, do they? Because as Gareth said, it's the way it's always been. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I mean, our sanctuaries, as you said, you know, they, we are, we are delighted to have been given the award by the Global Federation because, um, you know, you you have to keep them safely and security and securely. You know, and safety from the day one has always been our number one priority, both for, of course, for the, the for the bears' sake and for our staff and visitors as well. So you've got, you know, you've got them separated to the general public by chain link fencing and baffle plates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, the public know they're safe when they come along. And I just think, again, it's just such a wondrous journey for them to make when they come and see the bears because as you say they 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 do believe i think before they arrive that the bears are dangerous and da 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 but then they come and see them playing like children in a playground you know it's just crazy they're turning somersaults they're running after each other they're trying to climb trees they're climbing up their platforms um and you know they're just they're swimming in swimming pools um you know even our older bears we always laugh because they play in slow motion you know they're just like two old dodders that are, playing, <laughs> are rolling around with each other and um, it just it just makes you laugh being part of that of, of their lives you know so I think we've got one of the easiest jobs in the world with the public because you know the bears are their own ambassadors they have such fantastic characters um, and they really show them off when the public come as well you know we we, we present them um, you know quite um, quite routinely to the public so they become used to more people watching them and I've actually found in the past that they will you know one of our bears called Choo Choo, he used to turn somersaults and then when people used to laugh, he would turn another one. You could see him just look up and almost like react to people laughing at him, you know, and I'm sure that, that you know, our guys in Vietnam would say the same, Sarah and T will say that, you know, they, they sort of play up, if you like, to, to if people are laughing at them or with them. <laughs> well, that's fantastic, yeah. Like, um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I better not get started on the, all the videos I've watched now. I wish there were bears in New Zealand now, wouldn't it? So we could go and see. So. Yeah, I'd have some trouble getting them in here. No, but um, I, I will have to love from afar. And um, one day, if we ever do get over to Asia, then um, we know where we'll be stopping off. Absolutely. So you've already achieved so much in in the years since you've started uh, Animals Asia, and it's just it's fantastic to see what you've done for all these beautiful sentient beings and it's just yeah you're so close now as well to the goal of ending the bear bile farming in vietnam in 2022 gareth got it right this time <laughs> and you know you get so close to these end goals it, it's it's beautiful to see you don't see many um, organizations actually get to those points so what's your vision for the future now you know what else is on the horizon for animals asia well, goodness, I mean, rescuing those 400 bears for a start is going to take us, you know, a few years hence as well. So it's a big job on our hands. And also, of course, over in China, you know, working with the authorities on enforcement, but now that the dogs have been removed from the livestock list, and that was our second founding goal as well, which is, is wonderful. So I think our teams in both countries are going to be, you know, really, really tied up for quite a long time to come um, but you know yeah of course as an organization you have to have forward and strategic planning and um, we are talking exactly of, of that issue you know what happens when bear farming comes to an end what will we do next and you know we know other species that um, you know need help 
of course, is in Vietnam. Um, and so we're, we're sort of looking forward and talking about, you know, various other ideas and, and yeah, I don't think we're going anywhere yet for a good while to come. So, yeah. <laughs> It's so wonderful. Like, um, for all our viewers, where can we go to get and support your yes. wonderful work? We'll be providing uh, all the links in the description to make it easier for everybody. But where can we go to? Um, I, I mean, jump on our social networks because they're the best. You know, we're just, I mean, the other thing I want to say quickly is that, you know, we're posting so much related to kindness. It's our, it's our new tagline, if you like, the only cure is kindness. And it's under a banner of kindness in action because we just feel again that, you know, with COVID and with all the sadness in the world, you know, the only way to move forward and actually, um, you know, live in harmony with animals and, and with each other is if we're kind. Um, and so if you hop onto the social networks, hop onto Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and things, you'll see the most beautiful, um, you know, images of our bears. We try not to post things too discouraging um, to turn people away. We want people to come and join us on this journey. So um, hop on those. Animals Asia is all over the place. Just Google Animals Asia. And of course, we've got our website as well. Um, and please, please join us. We need help more than ever over these next couple of years because um, these are huge years for us ahead. You know, we've got the chance now to really work on ending the dog and cat meat trade now that it's illegal to sell them for food. We've got the chance to end bear farming in Vietnam now that it's illegal. And we just need to put the mechanism in place to do that. And we need your help. Thank you so much. And like this, get in there, viewers. <laughs> like get stuck in there. We will be ourselves. So absolutely. Yeah. I want a t-shirt like yours as well. Can can we get those? Oh, we've got fun t-shirts. Yeah, please again go online to the website. We've got um, the only curious kindness t-shirts as well. Um and um We've got cheeky ones too, maybe I shouldn't swear, but years ago, um, our fantastic Brian, our comms guy, um, came up with a tagline, um, let a bear shit in the woods. Now, I know one shouldn't be using a swear word, I know that, but actually it's SH exclamation mark T. And, um, it, you know, behind that funny statement, um, we really took, we went out on a limb with this one, um, but behind that statement is the salient point that there are thousands of bears lying in their own feces in cages waiting for those farms to close down so and i think you know and, and actually most people got that and it's just such a great t-shirt you know that and it was a great campaign that we had that made a lot of people chuckle so um we can be cheeky sometimes but it hides a, a very serious note um and again our new campaign is kindness because kindness really is the only cure Thank you for listening to this interview. We hope you have found it informative and entertaining. To learn more about Jill's work, check out animalsasia.org. Once again, be sure to follow us on our social media pages for future episodes. And if you're enjoying our content, please leave a review on your chosen podcast platform. This has been Vegan FTA, vegan for the animals.